let us pray. Heavenly Father, pray that we would learn and see that you do all things for good, that in whatever we're facing today, we would know that you're working it out for good to your glory. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I love food, and, and more specifically, I love enjoying good food with the people that I love. This would fall into the category of Christian feasting, which is not necessarily what you might imagine when you imagine a feast. Often when you think of a feast, you think of a big table laid heavy with food and people around it enjoying it and laughing at it and all of that. And some of that falls into this, but Christian feasting doesn't necessarily include a massive meal, but enough food for the people that are there and joining together and enjoying it in fellowship and love. Because Christian feasting, much like when we come to the Lord's table, is a foretaste and a foreshadow of the most important feast, which is yet to come, which of course is the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we gather for a good feast, it's, it foreshadows this goodness. It looks forward to the good day when those from every nation will be gathered around the Lord's table to experience God's goodness as the church is married to her spouse, Jesus. This morning, we, we foresee some goodness as well as Jesus continues his journey in Gentile territory. He continues on to this place called the Capitalis, which, of course, if you know a little tiny bit of Latin, you know Deca means ten, so it's a group of ten cities near the Sea of Galilee. And as he gathers there, this, this group, somebody eventually brings him a deaf man who has a speech impediment. And there's really no backstory here. This just kind of happens. This, this deaf man is brought to Jesus, and they beg him to heal him. Now, now, if you've ever met a deaf person that was, that was deaf from birth, you know that the speech impediment just kind of goes along with it. They're able to communicate reasonably well, but they definitely have some hard times pronouncing words because they've never heard how the words are pronounced. I had a friend in college who was a voracious reader, but, but she was kind of shy, and, and she always had a hard time with certain big words. She knew all the big words, but she just wildly mispronounced them. So it's it's along that same lines, but more specifically, they've never heard the words, and so it, it comes across as a speech impediment. And this is a really important point to keep in mind, that this man has never been able to speak right properly or, or have the proper dictation in his life. But this passage is also filled with a lot of curiosities. And the first, of course, is, well, who brings this deaf man to Jesus, and why do they bring him? And what's even more curious about 20, Mark 7, 24 through 31, or 37 rather, is that the disciples seem to have just disappeared. There's never any mention of them from now until we get into chapter 8. And so it's probably most likely that we would conclude that it's the crowd that we hear has gathered around Jesus that brings him this deaf man 
And a big part of the reason why is we have to go back to chapter 5. And if you don't remember what happens in chapter 5, that's okay. It's, it's when Jesus goes to Gennesaret and this demonic man comes running out to him and he heals him. And if you remember back to that, remember that that man that had the demon and was cast out of him, that man wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted to continue following him, but what Jesus said is, no, no, go into the Decapolis and tell what has been done for you. And so what's really amazing here is is it's most likely that the crowd had heard from that demonic man what Jesus had done. And either they wanted to test Jesus, or they simply wanted to help this deaf man. It's very vague in the text. But they recognized Jesus by the description that they heard from the former demonic, and now they want Jesus to heal this man for them. And that's really amazing, because we learn at least that the formerly demonic man was obedient to Jesus. So they bring this deaf man, and Jesus takes him away from the crowd. And the text is very literal. We, we just get privately, and so we kind of have a vagueness. But, but really, it would be like if I wanted to talk to George, and I pulled him into the sacristy and closed the door. It was private. It was just Jesus and this deaf man. <clears throat> and so the only witness, of course, to this then is Jesus and the deaf man. And then we get a really odd description. And this is the second really strange thing that happens in this little part of the text. Jesus takes four steps, right? He, he puts his fingers in the man's ear. He spits. He touches the man's tug, tongue. And he sighs. And this is a very curious thing. And there's, there's lots of people trying to figure out, well, why in the world does Jesus do this? And, and, and the most likely answer is really uncomfortable. Where up until now, he's just healed by speaking, by saying, you know, go, you're healed, so on and so forth. But now it seems like he's following a process that would have been somewhat used in that time. Some modern commentators go so far as to posit that he was using some sort of magic spell, and I don't think we have to go quite that far but it, but it does seem as though he is following some sort of process that is used in that time to heal people, with or without success. And so I'll just leave that thought there for a moment as we move on to this odd little word, ephaphata, which means be opened in Aramaic. And it's very curious, why in the world, right, so here's our third curious thing, why in the world would Jesus speak, be speaking Aramaic? And it's because it, that, that would be this man's language. And so it's fascinating because that's the very first thing, right, that this man is going to hear is the Savior speaking to him in his own language. It's a kindness that Jesus shows to this man. He reaches to this man's level and speaks to this man in his own tongue. One of the things that we should note as we've read the last two weeks, what Jesus is doing is that he shows himself to be incredibly comfortable traveling outside of the Jewish region. He's traveled now through modern-day Syria, Lebanon, and Jordan as he wanders around this sort of northern part of the Sea of Galilee, 
visiting these Gentile areas. In other words, while Jesus is first called to his own people, to the Jewish people, he's comfortable going to the Gentiles as well. And in the example of this man, he's willing to show them an incredible kindness. This is probably more an indictment of me than anything else, but I I probably watch too many of these types of videos online because they're interesting. But there's there's videos of, of faith healers online, and there's two that stand out particularly closely. The first is this woman that claims that she can drive demons out of people. And, and as she's driving the demon out of this guy, he's writhing around on the ground, and I guess the demon was just nice enough to keep him modest because he pulls down his shirt. In other words, the band probably doesn't have a demon, and it's just a show. The second one is a lot more tragic. It's, it's this man that, that gets healed from his, his torn meniscus or something along that lines, and what most likely happens in this video is the man is so amped up on adrenaline that he doesn't feel the pain in his leg, but he's still clearly limping when he walks away from the faith healer. I want to affirm, because we've, we've seen it here, that God still heals today. We've seen that he's chosen to heal some and, and chosen not to heal others. But it's not a show. It's never showy. It's never this big, fantastic thing that draws tons of people to him, but it draws those people, whether it is in healing or not in healing, closer and closer to him. And sometimes the reality of healing is that we have to wait until eternity. So what makes these faith healings that we see on the internet so tragic is that they prey on people's pain and hopelessness, trying to draw more people, draw in more money, draw in more following, so that they can gain popularity and all of that. Instead of pointing to what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, when he writes of his own pain, his own pain that he prayed and prayed to the Lord to take away. And he writes, so to keep me from being conceited, in other words, to keep me humble, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation that was given to him, a thorn was given to me, that is St. Paul in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited, to keep Paul humble. Three times, Paul writes, I pleaded to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly of my weakness, writes Paul, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then am I content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then in Christ I am strong. In other words, these faith healers much like the ones that would spit and and use some sort of spell to try and heal somebody back in Jesus' day, much like those people, these faith healers don't point to the eternal hope of the gospel. They don't point to the fact that our suffering can be used by God for good. And instead, they try and scam people again and again. But what sets Jesus apart 
What sets Jesus apart from the faith healers of the past and the modern faith healers is that this man was healed immediately. Right? So we read his ears were opened. And this alone would be amazing, right? If, if all of a sudden somebody who was deaf could hear, that would be amazing. But the man also spoke plainly. That is to say that the man no longer had an impediment. In other words, think about that for a minute. This man had never heard Aramaic until Jesus said, open, be opened. Never heard a word before in his life, and now he could speak so that those around him could understand his words without any sort of impediment or misunderstanding. That is the amazing thing of this miracle. So Jesus and the man return, and Jesus commands them, so not just the man, but the whole crowd, not to spread what he had done. Because, I mean, by now it's pretty obvious, right? This man couldn't really speak very well, he couldn't hear, and he's having a conversation with his neighbor. And yet they proclaimed it all the more zealously. And so here comes yet another question, another oddity of this little text. Why is it that Jesus doesn't want them to spread it? Remember the man, the demonic man, he said, go tell everybody what I've done for you. But these, he says, don't tell anyone. And the most likely answer is that these people were yet to be converted. In other words, they had yet to come to believe that Jesus isn't just another faith healer, but that he is Lord that he is the Messiah that's come into the world, not just to save Israel, but the whole world who believes in him. And yet the crowd continues to spread it. And we get one more curious thing. Verse 37 ends this little, little text with these words. They said, he was, has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Now, what is curious about this is that they draw from Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 reads, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. He shall make the lame man to leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute to sing for joy. Now, in and of itself, that seems like a pretty normal thing for the Bible to do. The Bible often quotes the Bible, therefore, that makes perfectly good sense. Except remember where we are. We aren't in Galilee anymore. We're in the Gentile region of the Decapolis. There weren't a ton of people in the Decapolis who were sitting around and reading the prophet Isaiah. So why in the world are they quoting this passage here? Most likely, Mark draws this in because Mark is writing this to Syrian Christians, not to to Jewish people who converted to know Jesus, who decided to follow Jesus, but to Syrians who decided to follow Jesus. 
And part of that whole thing, we talked about this last week, remember? That, that there, was, there were people that were going around and saying, well, well, it's great that you love Jesus, but you also have to follow the law. So we need to circumcise you. You can't eat unclean food, so on and so forth. But now Mark is saying to them, no. The promises, even of Isaiah, aren't just for the, for the Jews, but it is for everyone who knows Christ. Because God, through Christ, is working all things for good. If we look back at the history of Israel, if we look for, for as far back as Abraham, the call was always that Israel was meant to be a blessing to the world. And yet we look through the history, if you, if you take time and read through the whole Old Testament, we see just this kind of, at best, they're isolationists. This is when they're, they're, they're at their best. But at their worst, instead of being a blessing to the world, they adopt the world's gods and they bring them in and they worship him. And this is part of why so often the prophets get so peeved with them is because they're bringing in these false gods. But Jesus is the blessing that is looked forward to from Isaiah And this morning, with this little tiny phrase, he has done all things while he even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. We get a taste of that. What good does Jesus do for the world today? Our communion service quotes from Matthew chapter 11. It is an invitation to all who are weary and heavy laden. Perhaps you probably, I hope you haven't memorized by now because you've heard it week in and week out for years upon years upon years. Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Come to me, the ESV translated, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, it continues, upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly, Jesus Jesus says, in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That final verse, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, is, is, is quite literally my yoke is good. And my burden, my burden is not burden. Some. What an amazing promise. He invites us into this goodness. This is the good that Jesus is starting to do in the world, is doing in your hearts. The invitation to the communion service is the invitation to us this morning that Jesus does all things well, that Jesus does all things good. So when we are invited to the communion table, we are invited into his goodness, into the rest that is in Christ. Yes, we are still yoked to something. But where the yoke of sin is death, the yoke of Christ is life. And where the burden of sin is pain, and heartache, and separation from others, 
The burden of Christ, though it can feel difficult at times, has no burden compared to the burden of sin. The burden of Christ is is joy and fellowship and healing. The burden is not burdensome, but it is easy. Jesus calls us to good things that glorify God. Though they may seem challenging in this lifetime, we know that we are headed towards that beatific vision that is the vision where we finally see God face to face. We are headed towards that good feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we are finally and fully bound to Christ. And this brings us to the second way that Jesus is doing good in the world today. Yes, Jesus does still heal. But Jesus, as we know, does not heal everyone in this lifetime. But the promise of the gospel is that in the end, in the end, all will be made right. All pain will be relieved. All heartache will be mended. All sorrow will be turned to joy. And every tear will be wiped away. Yes, some of this may happen today. In Christ, you may find relief from your heartache and your sorrow and your tears. But you may not at all times. Because, but in the end, you will see God face to face. And you will be filled with joy. I want to be bold as I wrap up, depending on where you are this morning, if you are running from Christ, if you are rejecting him, and the pain of this life is too much for you. Know that Jesus can heal you. Know that Jesus can be a comfort that you cannot understand, but surpasses your understanding. Jesus is the good yoke that he invites you to take up, that I invite you to take up this morning so that you may see for yourself. If you are struggling or sorrowful this morning, take heart. He is the one who makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He does all things good. He is doing good things in your life, even if you have a thorn in your flesh. If you are feeling like an outsider this morning, alone and lonely, remember that Jesus came for those, even those who were outside of the first covenant, and did good for them. He brought them into the new covenant so that you do not have to be an outsider, but can come and know he does all things good. So my friends, no matter where you are this morning, Have hope. Jesus does all things good. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.